With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy Thursday. Uh, sorry for yesterday. Some late uh, scheduling problems. Um, but we are back and we have some news to talk about. Uh, but we're going to start with the pre-show. And I know everybody's getting geared up for the NFL season. It's going to be Russ versus Mike in week one. Jets versus Bills. Uh, we have bragging rights. Uh, on the One of my favorite matchups in, in football. Jets, Bills, Jets, Dolphins. Those are my two favorite. Patriots really weren't a big rival for the Jets for a very long time to all the Belichick stuff, and then they quickly jetted to the top. But really, in me, the way growing up, it was Bills and Dolphins, honestly. Well, the funny thing was Bills and Dolphins for like, you know, until I was like 13 years old was completely one-sided because the right. Dolphins always beat the Bills. They right. they lost – I don't think they won a game in the 70s against the Dolphins. The Bills did. Uh, and then I was actually at the first game that the Bills beat. It was 80 or 81. I think it was 80. Um, they won 17-7 to at Rich Stadium, and they pulled, they pulled the uh, – uh, goal post down. The fans jumped out oh, of the wow. and yanked the yanked the, uh, uh, the 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 goal post down. Joe Ferguson threw a touchdown to Roosevelt Leaks. Roosevelt Leaks, I remember him. Yes, former former Baltimore Colt. Um, but yeah, no, and I mean, New England was New, first of the thing. New England sucked for a lot of those years. So Sam like, Bam Cunningham, they weren't very good. Well, in the seventies, they had like you know Grogan and Sam Bam Cunningham and Russ Francis at tight end. They, was great. They yeah. were good. Then then they had the Bledsoe era when they made a Super yeah. Bowl in eighty five. But most of the time, it was they were they were crap, and it was like Flutie was a quarterback for for a bad Patriots. Although, team. although Grogan once on Monday Night Football beat the Jets fifty six to three, but. Yeah. That was like the game of his life. But, you know, and the Jet, it's weird because it always seems the Jet, like the Bills, no matter how good or bad the Bills are or the Jets are, they, all, they always split. Yeah, they always split. There have been a couple of weird years where somebody's won too, but it's very rare. They usually split. You could look at the rosters and you could see a big difference sometimes between the two teams. And then these games, like even in the 81 playoff game where it looks like the Jets are getting destroyed in the first half, in the second half, they almost come back and win. A lot of those games are like that. And and I am pretty sure, Russ, the only time they've met in the playoffs was that famous one. That yeah. I mean, I'm not bringing it up just a no, 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 I know, I know. I think you're right. I don't think I they do. met in the AFL playoffs. I think that was the only time no. they played the Jets. All right, um, so in other news. In other news. Remember how Tom Brady lost his trademark lawsuit to um, Tom Seaver? I think the WWE is about to lose a trademark lawsuit to Ric Flair. So Woo! Becky Becky Lynch came up with this angle, or, or the WWE did, or somebody, but I, I was watching a show where I think she said she did, where she was called the man. Okay, so that's her angle, even though she's a woman. And so one of her big first matches for a title was against Charlotte Flair, Rick's daughter. Right. So it was the man against Rick Flair's daughter. So 
Ric Flair was on TMZ yesterday. Of course, they grab him at the airport, which is always the best place to grab everybody when you want to interview him. And he basically talked about his beef with the WWE because he said that he had um, texted Hunter Hearst Helmsley after he spoke to like this lawyer who really doesn't care about Ric Flair and says that to be the man, to beat the man, you have to be the man is what he has trademarked. Sure. And and basically, like, you know, the WWE lawyer is like, no, it's not even close. And then Rick gets mad. And then he's telling Helmsley, if you don't do something about it, because he checked out his royalty statement. And I guess he didn't like what he saw. And so then he's like, you, you're you going to get sued on this. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to file for that trademark. Because the way Ric Flair said it in his video, the WWE actually doesn't own the trademark on that. And so I think what's going to happen is the same thing that happened in the Seaver case. Nobody owned the trademark, right? But the way a trademark worked is whoever's closely identified with the phrase is the one who, even if he doesn't ever file for it, technically would be the only person who could file for it until they die. So like with Seaver, they said, hey, we, we rule against Tom Brady. It is Tom Seaver's whether he ever files for it or not. And Seaver probably will never file for it. And you got to believe with Ric Flair – he is going to win that because he's been saying that since the eighties in his catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and the WWE does lose sometimes. Remember they were the WWF. Yes. So, I still, I still slip up on that. I still say that. Well, the world wildlife fund, right? I mean, <laughs> they're the ones, I mean, it was unbelievable when the lawsuit happened, but you could see why they were upset because like that was their trademark. Right. And so they won and the WWE, Became the WWE. Yeah, well, it was the WWF for a while. You remember that? That's right. But back in the WR, even before the WR days. The, yeah, that was when Vince Senior was the. Uh, yeah. So they dropped one W, and that's when they ran into problems. Correct. Um. Okay. Changing from the sublime to the ridiculous, and, <laughs> I, and I'm calling Antonio Brown ridiculous. This guy's an idiot. He really, truly is an idiot. And I thought that this whole thing over the four weeks of the preseason with him and the helmet, and then you know the the frostbitten feet was yeah. all a was all a con contrivance to keep him out of preseason games. That he well, wanted. We both thought that early on. Yeah, I think we were right. But now it's it's plainly been revealed that he's an idiot because he goes on social media after be after he being fined by the Raiders. I think it was fifty five thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Posts. The notice from the Raiders on Instagram, he talks some trash about, you know, you know, he, he used the word the devil or something like that, which was yeah. nutty. I mean, I'm sorry. Do you realize you're getting paid 30, you know, 30 million bucks by them? Right. It's, <sighs> you could tell by week two of Hard Knocks. And again, let, let's talk about Hard Knocks for a minute. While it's still enjoyable, they made it the John Gruden soundbite show and it was terrible the way they ended it i just yeah. want to say that like it's just there's more to a team than john gruden's sound bites and going back and talking about all the times that john gruden was on there and saying you know what it's like nobody cares about that now i always care about the guys who get cut and i i always will you know feel bad for them and follow them and there was a guy from new jersey and he ended up going to detroit and i don't know if he made the team on detroit but whatever i always care about that i'm invested in that i'm not invested in john gruden because for one thing i don't think he's a good coach I think John Gruden's a backslapper who understands plays and just because of that rose to prominence. I don't think he's a great coach, but anyhow, 
getting back to the Brown portion of it, I don't need to see him working out. I don't need to see his kids wearing the helmet that he says he finally decided on. Like all of a sudden he came down from a mountaintop to decide on a goddamn helmet for a, a football game. Like it's just, all of it was maddening. He never played in a game. I don't even think he played in the scrimmage when like, you know, another team came over and scrimmaged with him. Like he didn't do much other than a few practices with the team and whatever workouts while he was there. And for him to miss, considering he wasn't doing anything anyhow, I don't blame the Raiders. I think the Raiders are in the right. And I could see a situation where if this escalates, the Raiders are going to do a lot more than what they've done to him. Well, and I saw this, and we'll get off of this and start the show. Uh, I saw this on on uh, Twitter uh, from uh, Spot Track, and it, it's it's interesting if they go down this road. Apparently, uh, there are clauses in the contract uh, with, with with and most with with most teams with players where if there's conduct under, uh, detrimental to the to the organization that they can unguarantee the guaranteed uh, portions of the contract. And we're talking sizable, like 14, 15 million bucks a year. And if that's the case, if the Raiders want to, yeah, it's perfectly possible that the Raiders may soon look to void the guarantees and Browns contracts for 2019 and 20, 14.6 and 14.5 million based on various incidents of conduct detrimental to the team. They really hold the whip hand here, honestly. They do. I mean, Again, I don't know what he thinks he is. And, yes, is he a talented receiver? Sure. But at the end of the day, people in, in, in Pittsburgh are rejoicing the fact that he is doing all this and they got out from under with him. I have to give somebody some – some uh, some uh, some some uh, plaudits on our, in our in – our, uh, in our YouTube comments, somebody has taken the name Mike's gray shirt. I'll answer for Mike as he left me in the dresser today. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Thursday, September 5th, 2019. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm red shirt Michael Agello. And this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on Hockey Buzz. Although it doesn't look red. It looks more like a wine. It's a well, it's maroon. It's a, I don't know. It's like a burgundy wine. Yeah. There you go. I'll go get drink some drink some wine, and if I spill it, I can't tell the difference. Um, okay, we're going to start with some contract talk, and we're going to lead into the most notable contract that was signed yesterday, and uh, do our preview, continue our team previews, because the player that signed the eight-year extension uh, is a, is the leading scorer of the Arizona Coyotes, and that would be Clayton Keller. Now, it was announced yesterday uh, Keller signed an eight-year max for $7.15 million a year. I've heard some criticism uh, and some complimenting on uh, Chica's, uh, John Chica's, uh signing of uh, Keller to this contract. Now, he's one year away from his RFA, you know, his entry-level deal expiring. Right. So they get, it, they get it done ahead of time. His rookie year, he had 65 points. Last year, the Coyotes had trouble scoring. He still led the team in scoring with 47 points, only 14 goals. This locks him up until age 29. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with this. Um, I think he's a good player. I know that some of, some of the analytics crowd was out there and saying, well, his numbers aren't great. 
he's a good player. I mean, what 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 the hell more do you need? I think he's better than a good player, and I think that with the right talent, you could see him get around that 65, 70 point mark again, and more goals. He's not a goal scorer; he's a pass first guy. And with someone like like Kessel, I think you could see his assist rise if that's who they decide to put him with. This is a great sign, and I'll give you a couple reasons why. And you don't even have to look at analytics. And there's positives here, a lot of them. So for one thing, last two years, he's averaging over 18 minutes of ice time. Mm-hmm. For a forward, that's a really good amount of ice time for a 21-year-old. Let's say that. You take away that 18 minutes of his scoring each season, and you would be uh, hard-pressed to uh, replace it. He's had, in the last two years, 30 even-strength goals out of his 37. Now, that's really good. I mean, you think about the value of even-strength goal. So he's getting mostly assists on the power play. And so assist-wise, he has 33 assists out of his 77 on the power play. So he still has 40-something even strength. So this guy's performing at even strength. That is something where I think that has to come into play. Now, here's the one where you can look at plus-minus, but that is a team stat. It is absolutely a team statistic. But if you want to look career, he had he has 89 – and, again, it got a lot better last year – 89 takeaways to 87 giveaways last year, 46 takeaways to 37 giveaways. To me, for an offensive player, a guy who's just 21 and is clearly going to get better as they surround him with more talent, this is a bargain. Anybody who thinks they overpaid for Clayton Keller is out of their mind. Now, Peter, um, yeah, we're talking about Keller. Right here. You're out of your mind. Go ahead. So, one one good year of of uh, sixty five points, and then a downward year is now worth seven point one five million dollars. What okay. if you're wrong? So here's the here's the thing. To quote you, Russ. Yeah. If you, sorry, Arizona has way more ability to be wrong than someone else does. That's why this makes sense. It, it it's not that. Okay. It's not that it's necessarily a bad deal in that they have the ability to be wrong because they're never going to spend anywhere else. So two large deals on them and stuff, it's not going to kill them. If if this is the Jets doing that and they were wrong, sure. they're cooked. Sure. And, and that's the position they're in. So they can be wrong and it won't cripple them because they've got nothing else. Right. And this is the this is another page in the chat and the the chica playbook because over the last 12 or so months he has signed keller 7.15 eight yeah. years D- christian dvorak he signed to a seven-year extension and he got nothing out of the first year of that extension because he was hurt for most of the year at 4.45 nick schmaltz after i believe it was after he got hurt signed him to a seven-year extension at 5.85 he extended chikrin while he was injured he extended oliver ekman larson so he's getting them he's giving them term but he's getting deals in terms of the amount that he's paying them because Keller you know this is the thing and Russ pointed out you know Keller if they put him to, with Kessel you know he could have a, a 70 75 point season if that if that happens and this is maybe Chica learning the lesson of you know teams like Calgary or Toronto or Winnipeg if he goes out and scores 75 points then it's not going to be seven point one five million. It's probably going to be eight and a half to ten to right. nine million. So I'm not saying. Let me make 
be really clear. I'm not saying Keller's a bad player, but he's not everything people think he is. He's not a play driver. Oh, I don't know about that. See, the metrics say otherwise. But who has he had on his line? That's so, what you have to no, ask. No, 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 no. I, I agree with that. Russ, this is the this is why I was going to say this is a hedge. That's what this contract yeah. is. It's a hedge. And with every hedge is a gamble. Yes. They're, right now, yeah. we're not sure what Clayton Keller projects to be. There's right. a great line that could go up and be amazing, but it could also plateau at a certain point. This is the hedge that Cheka is betting. He's right. going to be above that. Now, he his job is he's got to get the pieces in place to make sure he gets the value back. Yeah. This and is that's what I think everyone should be a little nervous about. Well, again, I, I don't know what that you heard me say, Peter. His even strength goals, his even strength assists, his giveaways to takeaways, and he hasn't missed a game in two years. He's played 82 and 82. Like, these are all I mean, 18 minutes a game. So, you know what? I believe he will be that. I think if anybody saw him play with the under-18s, who literally had the record for points until Jack Hughes broke it this year. I, I think you need to see better players with Clayton Keller. Yeah. And I think once you see that, you'll see the points go back up. See, this, yeah. this, this and, and that's Chica's hedge, right? Right. Well, and this, this is the thing, Peter. If it turns out well, if Keller progresses and does what Chica thinks and what Russ thinks he can do, then this is the best value contract next to Nathan McKinnon in the league. If he if he scores 75, 80 points and he realizes that, you know, McKinnon's making 6.3, and it's a complete joke because there are players making over six, six and a half million who are not even close to being the type the, as good a player as Nathan McKinnon is. Keller has the ability to make that contract be a very good value. And the same thing with the same thing with Dvorak. I mean, if Dvorak comes back healthy and is a 50, 55 point player, making 4.45 million is nothing in this league now. Yeah. So that's the game. That is the gamble. But I mean, I think it's a good gamble for Chica. I do too. Well, I, okay. It's a gamble he almost has to make. Right. What I'm, what I was trying to get at yesterday is, is there's probably a few, um, <laughs> the few GMs who are like, damn, now I've got a benchmark of something I probably didn't want to benchmark against. Sure, I get that. And that's, that's the issue. Here. <laughs> like, honestly, like from a lockup and stand standpoint of owning the player, it's a good move. I think it's too high. I like is is Clayton Keller, um, is Clayton Keller Nylander? I think he's not the, that's, so essentially, that's essentially who you're the latest model you're comparing him against. You want to, you want to put him with, with Austin Matthews, you'll see Clayton Keller score 80 points. How often did Nylander play with Matthews, though? Well, the first year he played a lot, right, Mike? Uh, Nylander played mostly, I would say, the second half of the first year and then all of the second year. Yeah. So we're going to have to wait five years for for uh, Matthews to get to Arizona then. <laughs> oh! <laughs> now, now, well, let's ask this question though, avoiding, avoiding that, uh, that's that, uh, that missive by Mr. Tessier. Um, how is this, if any, going to affect the RFA class that's currently out there, or I know that uh, Matthew Barzel was asked regarding 
um, his contract at the end of this season at the uh, the NHL media event, and he didn't really want to talk that much about it. But you know, the Islanders are in a similar situation where they have cap space, and he's probably their best young player. And you know what? I, I'm sure Lou is probably ecstatic at the benchmark of seven million for Barzil. I think Barzil is going to ask for a lot more. Oh yeah, but. Uh, does this affect the asking price for the guys like Kachuk or Point or Marner or Granton or any of these guys? I think it affects all of them to some degree because everybody can get their agent to point at something. Like you can get Connecty's agents to say, look, Connecty's got more goals than this guy. He may not have as many points because of that 65-point years, but he's, but he's more consistent with goals. Like they could all pick out a little something here and all take a little raise out of it. I, I don't doubt that that's going to happen. Well, the funny thing is, Peter, is that Keller has gone against the grain here because all of these young guys apparently want three, four, five-year deals so they can hit it big in unrestricted free agency at age 26, 27, get another big deal. Keller here has locked himself up basically through his prime and maybe he did it because it's Arizona and he likes he likes likes living there and eventually they'll be a good team. But it, it does go against the grain because everybody, you know, Connor and Line A, it's, it's uh, Marner, it all seems that they're all wanting to bet on themselves and go short term. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just got a text message from my wife. Sorry. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, sorry. They're all going, they're all going for term. So, they're all going short term. Yeah. Keller went eight, and that's that's mm-hmm. a, you know that's unusual because most of these guys want to go three, four, five to hit it big. Well, that, that's the current trend, right? But if you right. look back at someone else who have significant sort of numbers and scenarios, Shifley went eight, <clears throat> Ehlers went seven. I'm just talking Jets stuff here, but so now you're seeing the shorter terms. Um, I think partially because when those deals were signed, we didn't have um the known entity of seattle in the expansion draft and we didn't have the current state of understanding where a lockout pressure might be Mm -hmm. right so i think recent things events have changed a few things in how gms and agents look at stuff and also teams are finding ways to weaponize resources in terms of large signing bonuses such as the leafs have done with cash flow and stuff and we know for a fact that the arizona coyotes do not have the leafs cash flow like that's just a given. So you see different scenarios based on different teams and how they're using their assets to pay players and stuff. And I think that's more of it. Like why he went eight security, probably partially because he still has one year left on his entry level deal. And frankly, if someone is going to throw 50, $56 million at me, um, I'd just take it over eight years too. Cause it's guaranteed money anyways. Well, I don't worry about the rest of it. There's a couple ways you can look at this. I think with new ownership, they're going to look to do that with certain players because they kind of have to, right? Sure. They, Arizona can't afford to renegotiate with someone in three years. They're not the Leafs. They're not a big organization. So that's one. The other thing is, <laughs> bless you. As we saw with Ilya Kovalchuk or anybody else that was with a franchise that that got you know moved or taken over, that contract just carries over. So like Peter said, you might as well just get paid now because maybe you'll be playing in Arizona. Maybe you won't, yeah. but you'll still be getting paid in that new place no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Now we'll just, we'll just briefly touch on the Coyotes in general here as our team previews continue. And 
I mean, the Coyotes surprisingly stayed in the race till the last, I would say, seven to ten days. I mean, they they finished with a record of 39, 35, and 8, uh, which is 86 points. And that's, you know, for a team that was devastated by injuries and didn't score a ton of points, that's, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Keller was their leading scorer with 47 points. And their leading goal, they did not have a 20-goal score. Their number one goaltender, uh, Auntie Ranta, was hurt uh, early on and didn't play for most of the season, and they went with Darcy Kemper for 55 games and still stayed in the race, which is, I think is a testament to Rick Tockett's ability. Yeah, this is a well-coached year by Rick Tockett. That's yeah. what it was. Now, let me just lay this out, yeah. and then I'll, then I'll let you guys go. Now, they, they've, they've added Kessel in the trade. They traded Galchenyuk in a deal for Kessel. They acquired Schmaltz last year. He got hurt, but he'll be healthy. They brought in Carl Soderberg from Colorado, basically as a salary dump. We would think that Dvorak is going to be back healthy. Um, and you know, defensively, they bring back the three veterans, Ekman, Larson, Goligoski, Yarmolson, uh, Chikrin, uh, I mean, now is a year away from the injuries that he had. I, I think this team has the ability to improve. I don't know if they have the ability to get into the top three in the Pacific, and that's the thing. I don't think the wild card is co- there's going to be a wild card coming out of the Pacific Division. I think it's going to be the top three and the other, the two wild cards coming out of the Central because the Central is so deep yeah. talented. So, do I think Arizona can get into the top three? No, but do I think they'll be improved? Yes. Peter, go ahead. Yeah, you know, they've added Castle. Um, a healthy Rantanen could help them because he was playing well prior to injury. And, and you know, it's, they're not, I mean, other than Kessel, Richardson, and um, Grabner, well, actually, they've got Goligoski and Harlson. They're a relatively young team. Well, yeah. then there's Demers too. But they're, you know, look, this is why I always say it's a hedge with what they do with Keller because. If the things work out, and if you're a GM, you have to believe things are going to work out, or why do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you have to assume your plan is going to unfold with a more likely chance of working than not. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in the business. Um, then there's potential here to make some noise. And, and let's not forget, like in 2010, I know it's nine years ago, different team, different issues. Again, not with the same kind of resources. They made a very decent run in the playoffs. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, all these little pieces in there could be really interesting. I mean, what's Phil Kessel going to be like in a market without scrutiny? It could just play right into his wheelhouse. Sure. You know, what, like the guy still has, as much as I've been critical about Phil Kessel, Mike, you were the one to say him. He's this bizarre hockey savant when it comes to his appearance and condition and stuff. He's, he's totally exceeded all expectations I've had for him as he's aged. And there is there is a base of talent there. Mm-hmm. Just will talk it be able to pull it all together and take one more step. I, I agree with you. If there if there is a chance of getting into the into the playoffs, they come in as a wild card out of kind of out of nowhere. But they hung around last year. They could do it again. That's all they have to do is hang around and get hot, like you know get that streak going at the right time. I mean, Russ, injuries have killed this team over the last couple of years. And the one thing, Kessel has played every game since, I think, 2010 when he separated his shoulder 
uh, with the Bruins, and then he was out for the first couple, I think it was month or month and a half with the Leafs, and then he's played every game since. So he's durable. The only thing I think, you know, I, I continue to think the reason that Pittsburgh traded him is because they were worried that going into his 30s that the lack of physical training was going to take its toll in terms of him losing speed. And once he loses speed, then, you know, I think his game is going to decline. But if as long as he's still there and as long as he's in decent enough shape and we know his abilities are through the roof, I mean, if they put him with Keller, that could be a, a dynamic combo. Could be. I mean, you're looking – you're looking for Dvorak to come back strong. Yep. Uh, you know, somebody like like Nick Cousins, who's like a million-dollar player, you know, Barrett Hayden could walk in and take his job. Yes. Like, yeah. And and maybe Cousins becomes that role player or or something else. But I expect I, – I, I spoke to Barrett Hayden and watched a lot of him at the Rookie Showcase, and I think he's, he's ready enough that if they put him into an NHL position, he can play the part. I don't think he'll ever be a superstar, but I think he's well enough in – well-rounded enough in, in, in his all-around game that he could do that. Oh, Nick Cousins went to Montreal. I forgot about that. But it's fine. Uh, they have Hayton, too, and I think that's another big add. I do think their defense is much better. You know, Chikrin will continue to improve. Yeah. I think their goaltending is an issue, and we'll see how that plays out because, again, they're one of those teams that has to have 50-something good starts out of a goalie if they want to make a playoffs. Yeah, I think they need some uh, an advance uh, out of Lawson Kraus and guys like Fisher. Yeah, um, I mean, they're only, those are 10, 12 goal guys, which right. is fine. But they can give you physical play and they can burn up some, some important minutes. I think that's a key thing. I do think Keller can get uh, you know more points, and I know he will. So yeah. I'm not even, I don't even worry about Clayton Keller in this situation. Connor Garland was a big surprise for them last year who – always had offensive ability. If he can get somewhere near what he did last year, that's pretty nice. It really does boil down to the goaltending. It does because you want Ronta in there. I don't think – I mean, I think that's the ultimate thing. I think Ronta has to play 50-something games for them to yeah. right. And and I think they need Schmaltz to be healthy. And once he got traded from the Hawks, he almost scored a point per game before he before he got hurt. So yeah. need for him to continue. Yeah, so he and you him and Stepan up the middle. That's and not bad. Hayden, you know, you're talking. That's yeah. There's potential there, so there we'll we'll follow them. I think now, it's a little more potential than we've talked about the last few years because adding Kessel is a big deal. You've probably added thirty goals, and nowadays that's that's hard to do. Now, uh, a lot of contract news over the last couple of days. Uh, the other one that was fairly prominent was Adrian Kempe signing a three-year, six million dollar deal with the LA Kings. Um, a bargain. A bargain. I, I, I I like Kempe as a player. He sort of broke out a little bit last year. He got a, he got a little bit more of an opportunity. Twenty-eight points in eighty-one games. That was. Um, I mean, it was a little bit down from his first from his first full year, but I, you know, they and I think the Kings took advantage of that because I think he'll bounce back. He's got a lot of talent, so I mean, this is a smart move for a team that is spending a lot of bad money on a lot of players who are past the past the uh, past their prime. Yeah, I think this this is a smart move because you know you're talking about a 22 year old, a guy who's getting stronger every year. You know, he's he's six two, he's over probably about two hundred pounds now. Twenty-eight points. I think he's scratching the surface. I don't think he gets over fifty, but I think you could see in the forties 
especially with more opportunity this year, which again on a rebuilding team, he will get, he adds a little toughness. Mm-hmm. He has that warrior mentality that he likes to go out there on the ice with. I love it. I think this is a smart move mm-hmm. and I think it's smart. You know, he could become like similar to Wayne Simmons for them. And I think over time, that's what you're looking at that kind of role. Yeah, and they then they brought in his brother Mario. Who yeah, played. Mario. You know, he's kicked. I, I think he's border. He's a borderline NHLer, but I don't think they would have done that if they didn't see if you know what I'm saying. It's sort of yeah. like you know, sure. the, the Jordy Ben, uh, Jamie Ben thing, where they bring in the brother as a support structure or whatever. And um, I like if they weren't interested in in making a long term commitment to Kempe, I don't think they would have done that. Oh, I'll tell you, the brother situation is tricky because I was brought in for a. Um, a preseason game for my brother's deck hockey team. And I think I scored like four goals and my brother promptly kicked me off the team because he didn't like the fact that I was better than him. So that's where the brother brother situation sometimes doesn't work out. All right. Um, if you, Peter, if you don't, do you, do you have any thoughts on, on Kempe or I think it's no. a good value signing? That's fine. Yeah. I, oh. I agree with you, Russ. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, the interesting news yesterday was not about a player that agreed to a contract, but a player that apparently is not going to get a contract from the team that we assumed that he was going to get one from. And that was Patrick Marlowe with the San Jose Sharks. It was announced yesterday that uh, Marlowe and the Sharks will not happen. Uh, Marlowe was practicing at the Sharks practice facility in Northern California wearing his Leafs garb. Everybody else was wearing teal. And, um, but he's not, you know, the, the sharks do not have any interest in Marlowe. Um, now I'm, I'm wondering whether that's going to have any effect on, on Joe Thornton, whether they're moving on from him as well, but I haven't heard anything on that score, but Marlowe apparently still wants to pull, excuse me, still wants to play. And I, you know, I put out a question to Lee fans out there. Would you be interested in Marlowe on a league minimum deal, sort of like what happened with uh, Brooks Orpic uh, last year where they traded him to Colorado, they bought him out, and then they re-signed him? And I looked at the, I looked at the poll last night, and it was, uh, wasn't sizably in the negative, but it was there were more no's than yes's. I'll have to check on the final, final uh, results. But – Peter, do you think there's anybody who's interested in Patrick Marlowe for a year? Maybe. Like, you know what team who should be interested in him is? It, but won't be? Is the, is the Canucks. Yeah. He won't go to Edmonton. Unless, you know, they, unless Jim, you know, unless Jim Holland's got some magic, uh, he, you know, sort of soothsaying words to get him to come into that disaster. I mean, they could use him just for a, to help Connor McDavid sure. manage some of the things that are going on, but so could the Canucks. And in fact, I think the Canucks are a better well-rounded team that you could shelter them. And Edmonton, you might be playing second line minutes automatically, right? right? right. Like that's, the, and that's not the right idea, but for a team like the Canucks, he could provide some, some stability in there considering the recent comments about maybe turning Louis Erickson into a third line checker. Like, I mean, <laughs> from Benning, I mean, you still wonder what's going the on. away from a third line checker that I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> you should just frame that quote, Ross, and send it to Jim Benning. Like, <laughs> exactly. And, and I think there's a team that could, could use, it's one of those things where you'd have to have sheltered minutes, 
preferred zone starts, but you'd love having his breadth of experience and knowledge in that room because there is value to that still. And that is the one thing that sucks about the NHL is that you can't have guys like that on your roster because cap space and roster spots are so limited. It's almost like every team should have one cap exempt player. Yeah. Signs under say 4 million or less, and they're not included on the cap and you can bring in a Marlowe and pay him for all those things. He knows not because he's going to be flying down the ice. I, you know, it, 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 Look, Marlowe can still help teams. Obviously, he, he still can skate. He's going to score 15 goals. He will give you some good minutes, power play minutes. He is smart. He doesn't kill you out there. Yeah. I think the Canadians, I think the Islanders, I think uh, the Flyers, especially if they feel like they're having a hard time with Konechny, I feel like um, I think the Rangers, if they didn't load up so much, probably would have. Because the Rangers had interest in Marlowe initially. I, I think there's probably, you know, the Penguins might. I, I, I think there's at least four or five teams that he'll have his choice of. I do. Yeah, and I, I the the final the final on the poll was fifty-four percent no, forty-six percent. He won't take the minimum either. He's not gonna. Well, and that and that's the thing. If he if he won't take minimum, I think that's going to knock it down severely. I mean, they're the teams that are gonna be willing to give him a couple million dollars a year. Remember, he got the payoff. From the buyout, so, no, no, I get it. Like he'll, I think he'll ask for two million, and he'll have bonuses in there to sort of, you know, be the carrot. And you know, right now, at the fact that he scored sixteen last year—that's the worst year he's had, right? Really, so, ever, yeah, ever, rookie year. So, what if he could actually even do a little better than that in the right situation? Which I think there's still an argument that he could. The fun, the funny thing is, Russ. I think the Le the right now the Leafs could use him still. Yeah, because Zach Hyman's going to be out till November, and yeah. they're probably going to be playing a guy who has never played left wing professionally in uh, Ilya Mikhaev, the the KHL player, um, who's switching over from the right side to the left. He's a left shot, but I, I think they could use him, and especially if Marner is going to be an extent. And I'm not saying that Marlow is going to make up for what Marner does, but he's a veteran player and he could fit in. But it would all be contingent on him taking a league minimum deal, and I don't think he's going to do that. You're probably right. So look, I think it's like September 25th, and I still have RFA holdouts. If I'm Chuck Fletcher, I'm calling him. <laughs> if I'm uh, over in Calgary, I, I think I'm calling him. Kachuk is still a holdout. Yeah. What if you're the Winnipeg Jets, Peter? What if you're you've got Line A and Connor out, and you can get Marlowe for seven hundred and fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand a year? I think you do it, but you only do it if you know you're going to give him if you're going to give him time if someone comes back. Like if you like yeah. that's the thing. Like you've got to give Patrick Marlowe your word that wait a sec, right? Hey, this guy comes back in two months. Right. You're still playing. We're not going to just hide you in the press box because that's right. that's not the right way to do this. And, and, and frankly, playing is going to be a motivation for him because he's got that consecutive game streak. He wants to keep that going. Yeah, exactly. And and that's sort of the the big the big thing, right? Like you've got to honor. Like when you bring him in, you've sort of got to honor who he is and what he's done. That's part yeah. of this. And, and and there's a lot of teams who shouldn't do that at all. And there's some who maybe can. And there's some who won't. And that's the hard part here. But 
You know, I, I don't think I'll tell you why I don't think the Jets would, because Marlowe's going to bring a level of leadership and expertise that there might already be some conflicts within Winnipeg about. Okay. And if some of the rumors that Mike McIntyre put up, Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press, not just a blogger like me, but a guy who literally blew the doors open on potential strife in that room mm-hmm. and some of the issues, but never furthered the details. If if they're right and you bring Marlowe in, what does that say to Blake Wheeler? You sure. know, are, are you saying you need help or you're not doing it right? We need, we need a Marlowe in here to help manage this. So you can learn, well, Blake Wheeler's turning 32. Like, <laughs> you know, he is what he is. He's not going to change now. Right. So, you know. You I mean, don't really need him to change anyhow. He's a really good player. Like, you're not. Yeah. No, I mean, not change the game, but change how you lead as the captain. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to do that. No, he's not going to do that, is he? He's not going to step on any toes. He, he really, like, in, in Toronto, he realized his role. He was there to sort of educate Mar, um, educate Matthews and Marner on how to be good pros. He took them under their wing, under his wing. You know, they basically became his de facto children. Yeah. And I think he had a po- he's had a positive effect on them. And he was a leader in the locker room, but not like a. I don't think he was a rah rah vocal guy. He's just a class individual, yeah. and I think that he would help any team, and even in, even a team that has some some sort of leadership issues, he probably would come in and just be a support guy. But I think that for him, the most important thing would be to play. And if he's going to be like a spare part, then it's not worth his time. And if it's, you know, because he's his family's in Northern California. I think he hoped that he was going to play with the Sharks. Didn't didn't work out. Now, you know, I don't think any of the teams in California are with, within a striking distance of winning a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years, except for San Jose. No. So, you know, you know. There's, there were some rumors about Arizona. There were some rumors about Edmonton. I don't know. Like, I mean, Maybe one more surprise team. Okay. Maybe the St. Louis Blues. Okay. Not, you know, I, yeah. Colorado. I mean, if you're thinking just out of realms of possibility, why not? Right. Absolutely. I, I think part of what Marlowe's issue is, is that he's got to be in a place that's maybe conducive to his family being accessible and stuff. That's why I think the West coast works because his family's back in San Jose, right. his wife and kids, you know, making a jump up to Vancouver isn't too hard. Making a jump to St. Louis might not be that hard either. No, I think that's a good location. What about they Colorado? Veteran- that, yeah, that's what I said. Colorado <laughs> makes sense. Did you say, oh, sorry, Mike. Yeah. 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 It makes perfect sense because, because they have a lot of young players. And I think the value of Marlowe more than just him on the ice is off the ice and in the locker room. The Leafs saw that. Um, and the one, the one criticism about like my theory about them bringing back to Toronto, bringing him back to Toronto, would be Babcock will still want to play him too much. Yes, that's definite. Especially then, early in the season with Marner out, he'll play him to death. Yeah. Now, just to, just touching on a, on a couple leaf related things, and we'll talk about a few other things and take some questions before we end the show. Uh, and Russ on cue leaves. <laughs> Uh, um, the general talk about Marner between, you know, that's come out from insiders like Elliot Friedman and, and Pierre Lebrun is that it's going, starting to go in the direction of a bridge deal, which I, I said three months ago, I thought the compromise was the bridge. 
um, and that that would be where I think both sides could agree, but it was all dependent on what it would cost on a bridge. In a three-year deal um, is what has been mentioned, and but the amount has, that's being floated, and it has to be from the Marner camp, is over $9 million on a three-year deal. That's double what Kucherov got three years ago. I don't. I would be shocked if the Leafs, if they sign him to a three-year bridge deal and get no little or no security. The only security they get is that he doesn't walk to UFA. I would be shocked if they go over nine million on a three-year deal. If it's if you're talking eight, eight and a half, I think that's bad. But it's not as bad as going over nine because you're setting a day. The league general managers will hate Kyle Dubas if he does that because he sets a whole new precedent, Peter. And I think that they'll, they'll they'll say you know what the hell's going on, and he won't care because he just wants to get the player in. But that will open up a whole new can of worms for a lot of teams. Yeah, absolutely, it'll open up a huge can. Um, <laughs> but you know, they're all in this situation because they've sat around and waited for whatever right. reasons, right? And now, I mean, the first the first little crack of the can was the Keller deal. And now teams are going to have to play around that. You know, you've heard me say it for years. I'd rather set the market than have the market be set for me. Right. And I think there's an, uh, there's an ability, there's a reason GMs need to be a little more aggressive on things like this because you don't want someone else setting the value. Yeah. And if you look at some of the, you know, contracts that are out there, you, you can see that agents have some leverage based on who's given someone what. And, you know, if Marlo, or sorry, Marner does three years at nine million or in around that range, that's going to create chaos for for Joe Sackick and Kevin Chevaldeoff if they haven't cleaned up their house. And and, I'll, and I'll, 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 a lot of people, Russ, believe that. I mean, at least I believe that the 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 nine million um, AAV that on, on this is coming from Marner's side because I don't think oh, the, yeah. you know the Leafs the Leafs are not you no. know. I could see them saying, you know, a three-year deal, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. Okay, we, it's you know, you have to sort of plug your nose because it's precedent-setting, but we'll do it just to get him, get him in there. And Dubis, you know, in an interview with Bob McKenzie a couple days ago, was like, you know, was basically open to anything in terms of term. He said, "Well, I'm not going to limit myself in terms of term. We would like six or seven or eight years, but you know, if it's a short-term deal, we can work with that." I think he's just looking for Marner's side to work with him, and it just seems like the Leafs are doing all the giving here, and there's no yeah because they've talked about term to death. At this point, like it's it's probably a dead subject. Right. Of course, I mean those are you just gave every possible scenario. Like they haven't talked about that already. Like you know what I mean? It's just it, it's ridiculous. I kind of wonder now if any of them are going to sign before September fifteenth. That's what I kind of wonder now because now the PA is sort of waiting on, even though they had a meeting yesterday, yeah. uh, waiting to give the NHL their answer as to lockout early or no lockout early. And so I kind of wonder now, are players going to even sign before that? Well, I to wonder. And you anticipated what I was going to bring up next because, Peter, there has been some – Indication, indication of optimism on the CBA front because first the first the, the, the NHL decided that they weren't going to opt out. That was pretty much we we knew that a few months ago. Um, there seems to be some 
pleasant talk and positive talk from Donald Fear about you know discussions ongoing and uh, you know a good dialogue. Um, it doesn't mean that on September the 15th, they don't agree to opt out. And if they agree to opt out, then the clock is ticking. Now I've heard, you know, guys like LeBron and uh, Mike Zeisberger who were in Chicago where the players are meeting saying that there is, you know, the direction is going positively towards either, either being uh, an extension of the current CBA or, or, you know, to three or four years, you know, just to keep labor peace. And I think, I think both sides are, interested in that but i think that there are going to have to be concessions on both sides and i you know i don't think the concessions that are going to be necessary are going to force a lockout but i don't think it's going to be solved simply by the uh, by the players saying oh we're good for the next two years i think they're going to solve it right now all they're saying is don't do it early right but i but, but russ i think that they're going to opt out because they want you know because they 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 want to address the problems in the current CBA sooner rather than later. They don't want to have to deal with two more years of escrow so, and things of that nature. Let, let, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about why escrow exists, right? Right. Escrow exists to ensure that hockey-related revenue correct is as a 50-50 split. Right. Because the players get paid throughout the year and hockey-related revenue cannot be determined till after the season under the current CBA and what is considered hockey related revenue, then the players have to put money in because we already know based on the salary payments that they are over the 50% split. It's all there like that. That's so you put it in escrow, the escrow sits there. Right. And then depending on what happens with revenue, it either some goes back to the owner, the players get some back. That's what no one talks about is, oh, we put it into this. Well, did you get some back at the end of the year or did you not? They never, ever give the results. We almost they, never they hear. Don't know. So we don't know if they're getting it back. So is this, so let's take, we talked about this the other day, Jonathan Taze's comments. So he says, well, I know I signed a contract. That's what his, his quote says. I signed a contract and I don't think it's being honored, I think is the general gist of it. Well, your representatives of the Players Association, which is a unionized entity and has a collective bargaining agreement with the employer, signed a contract too. So which one takes precedent, Jonathan? The point is there's one way out of this, and that is changing the revenue split. And that's where this has. If you don't like escrow, you have to change the revenue split or you have to find a new solution of you hold it and you pay it back. So who's going to keep, who's going to trust that, that guys are going to have an extra $600,000 at the end of the year right. to um, lump sum to pay back. I think it's a twofold thing. So I think first question is everybody talks about the hockey related revenue. In this, and I think that is a big deal only because it does change from year to year. Yeah. So first question is, what have the players done to drive up the hockey-related revenue? Why is it always all on the owners? Is that a fair question? I think it is. Well, I think if you're a partnership and growing revenue, you you need to take equal share in, yeah. in that initiative. And that's that's a discussion point. And Russ, to your point, if you can't if you want to change the share, then you're then guess what's going to happen next is your your battle lines are going to be drawn around. What is hockey related revenue? Right. So, all right. So, we get away right, from right. that. So, yeah. Okay. So, now the second one is let's say 
they come up, the players say, we don't want escrow anymore. And we're hearing that. We're hearing the murmurs. All that's going to do is create a flat cap situation that eventually there'll be a year where the cap doesn't go up. And there might be multiple years when the cap doesn't go up. And it could be starting next year. And so that's what you're you're possibly looking at if you get rid of escrow. At least with escrow, there's the potential of you getting more out of it. You still might not. But if you do away with it, what do you really think the chances are that you're going to get a higher cap and it's going to help all the players? I think less. I think that's a lot less. I don't know what you think, Peter. Well, this yeah. is – Go ahead, Mike. This is what Pierre Lebrun just posted on The Athletic. If the players decide to reopen in 2020, it means 12 tenths months to figure out figure it all out or else the games are lost. If the players decide not to opt out, it means three more seasons under the current CBA and a more relaxed atmosphere to extend the CBA past that. So I, I think it would be looked upon as a, you know, a goodwill gesture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I get that. But Isn't that what Major League Baseball did? Yes. Yeah. Now, at some point, at some point we're going to get a curveball in this. And the curveball is going to be probably going to come from Don Fair. I don't think it comes from the owners. I think no, it's I agree. I, it will. Yeah, it will. And it will be something because I think Fair is a very, very savvy and smart guy. Well, he's a brilliant guy. He's made and the players a lot of money. He's going to link something else in that gives them some leverage. And I don't think Batman knows about it. But I also think Gary Bettman is a very smart guy. Mm -hmm. And I think he is going to find another leverage point. And I think the leverage point is going to be around compensation for things like CTE. I think there's going to be some sort of ability to bring money on the table for players in their post-career to address health issues or something like that. Okay. And the leverage points are going to be around that. And then it's going to come back to things like the Olympics and stuff. There's going to be all these little, little other things that come in. Also, they can hammer out an agreement on the issue that will come back and bite them in the butt again. Hockey-related revenue and escrow. They'll make compensations on other things to keep that, and it won't really solve the underlying issue that's making the players happy. And that's where I think this goes. Well, it's, it's interesting. The business model, and then you can tweak the other things. It's interesting that the the according to LeBron's piece that the PA has suggested an extension of three more years, so that would make it through 2025. But of course, the owners want want longer than that because they want extended labor peace. the The other interesting thing was, and I mentioned this a couple months ago, and I thought that this is you know this was the potential solution to the RFA situation is that the owners want to get. And this is a change in their policy. The owners want salary arbitration right after ELCs because they don't want these players holding out. So at least, you know, they get one. They get these players signed for one year. It's similar similar to baseball in terms of arbitration. After a certain amount of years, it's a it could go year by year arbitration, arbitration, arbitration until they get to be unrestricted free agents. It doesn't prevent them from signing long term extend, in, extensions, but it also prevents that these 
players like Marner and Braden Point from sitting out for months on end. And that that's not good for either side. It's not good for the player. It's not good for the teams. So I, you know, I think that might be a solution, but I, there's probably going to be some give and take there to get that to happen. Here's the worst part, okay? And you can hang this on, on the hat of the owners and the players. This is the time of year where, like, the NHL does their media tours. They just they were doing one in Europe, and they'll do one in New York City, and now this is what they're going to be talking about again. Yeah. Think yeah. about that, right, Peter? From a public – just from a perspective of pub, the public taking in quotes and trying to get fans excited about hockey and new fans and everything else, we're still going to be hearing about the same old situation. Yeah, Peter, do you have to drop off, or are you still good for? I've got a few minutes here. Okay, uh, just, I just think it's it's not good for either side. We'll take some, we'll take some questions in the chat in a few minutes. So if you posted them, just post them back on there and there again, and we'll we'll answer you. Russ, I totally agree, and I think what Gary and and, and Don should really worry about is not talking about the numbers of who gets what but how you make things equitable. So you're mm -hmm. going to make things, you got to change the language yeah, and stop being adversarial about this because we've said I it before. I will say this. I don't think they're adversarial about it. I don't. Yeah. Well, right now they're not. Right now, no, right now they're not. But I mean, don't turn it into, well, we need to ensure that the owners are financially viable and stuff like that. Well, when you don't have to pay for your arenas and all these different things. Like if I hear, if I hear the someone from the Calgary flames come out and bitch and moan about making money with the, with the, what they're asking that city to put up, it's going to shoot everyone in the foot. Like right. you've gotten, you're killing your leverage. Right. So, you know, if the Oilers come out and say with their arena deal, you can't say that stuff and then turn around and cry poor later. Right. You know, you, you took you got those deals so you could be financially viable because that's what you told your city councils and your provincial politicians. Don't don't come and say you're not viable now because you've already said it. So you know that's what I'm saying. The messaging has to be really careful about. We recognize that each side has some concerns about where we're at and how this works, and we want to try and solve something so that people feel that both parties are feeling that their concerns are being met. And that the business solution to distribute re to distribute money works fairly in both ways. I should be writing this stuff for them. There's your message, Gary and Don. But that's, I mean, that's what needs to be said. How you talk away from this is different, but they both need a combined marketing plan because we said it before and, and we'll say it again. You go into another lockout, it's going to, like, there are people who will turn away. They'll be done with the league. And I, I think, I think Peter, the league knows that. And I think the players know that they yeah. know that they pushed a lot of people up to the edge in 2012 yeah. by sitting out the first three months. You know, the, the, the sport has bounced back uh, from that, from that brink. Um, but they go through it again after missing a complete season and, you know, over a decade ago and then missing you know a quarter or a third of the season you know, in the last decade, they go through that again. I think people will say, screw this. And they'll start watching basketball or do something else. It's, you know, they, they realize that they can't keep going to this. They have to maintain labor, get concessions, negotiate, but in the end, pull away from the brink because it's just not worth it. Yeah. Now, um, just touching on a couple things here. 
a lot of tryouts have been mentioned. We did our usual game uh, during the summer of uh, buyout, uh, or sorry, uh, P- sorry, uh, PTO, one-year contract, or nada. Uh, the Calgary Flames are definitely in the PTO game because they've they've invited five players on PTOs. Earlier in the in in the summer, Andrew McDonald. Yesterday, they announced Alex Grenier, Tobias Reeder, Zach Ronaldo, and Devonte Smith Pelly. Um, I you know first of all, Ronaldo, uh, Ronaldo, and I would say probably another one. I think have no chance. They probably did favors. But Reader uh, and McDonald, I think, have a decent chance to make the Flames. What, what do you think of those? Some of those names, Peter. Yeah, I think so. Flames will be interesting. I mean, they certainly are going to need someone to step up in uh, on defense for them because of Al Mackey. So they need something, and it appears they're not going to make a trade. But um, it's. Uh, you know, it, it's something that has to. Sorry, I can hear noise upstairs right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's something that has to. Uh, you know, it has to make sense for them. I mean, good luck to Andrew McDonald, but you know, maybe with the Flames defense and what the. I mean, the first two pairs are deadly. Jordan mm-hmm. on Brody and Hamannick and um and Hannafin uh, are fantastic pairs. So if you can play Andrew, Andrew McDonald underneath really well. It might work for them. Anyways, guys, I have to log off because something just is going on. But we'll talk, Sounds, talk to you later. Right. Sorry about that. Sounds good, Peter. Um, other names that were that were just announced in the last uh, day or so. Let me just go through them quickly here. Uh, Lance Bomo with the LA Kings. Troy Brower with Florida. Um, let's see here. Uh, Stefan Noisen with. Uh, Dallas, Alex Petrovic was a while back with the with the Bruins, but Andrew uh, uh, Adam McQuaid's his skating with the Bruins. Our own Ty Anderson said, that, "Don't read too much into that because um, now uh, Drew Stafford with Minnesota and uh, Scotty Upshaw. I think that was a while back with the, with Dallas. Um, I, I don't know about you know Stafford doesn't strike. I mean, he struggled to basically get a job in New Jersey the last he, few years. He's a great guy, but he's done." Yeah, um, I, I think you know Petrovic might have a chance with the Bruins because, you know, he's a right-hand shot. He's a physical defenseman, and you can't, you know, eliminate the concern about Carlo and McAvoy not being there. No, I mean, and then what does that mean for Chara? You, you've almost got to carry seven defensemen if you don't have those two guys. So I think Petrovic does have a great shot there. There were some interesting um, little signings here today. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolina signed defenseman Roland McCune, who he does have a little bit of an offensive game. Now it's an interesting contract because it's seven hundred thousand NHL seventy minors, ninety guaranteed. So at least if he's a guy that's going to get shuttled up and down, you know that's that's not a bad payday for him. So so that's an interesting one. They only the only uh, RFA left for Carolina is is uh, Sammy McElhaney, you know that big guy that we liked last year that that played a little bit. So. Good for them. Uh, I think that's actually pretty smart. It seems like um, if this report's right, that um, Vegas is close to re-signing Jimmy Schultz. The uh, he was a uh, Hobie Baker finalist, a defenseman, and he's a pretty good defenseman. So college defenseman, college free agent, mm-hmm. that kind of guy. And so I think there's a real good chance that they get that done. And if you think about it, that's an organization that does need to build back. A little bit of um, defensive depth after losing Brandstrom. So, 
you know, Jimmy Schultz is a uh, 24-year-old that you got to believe at some point could fill in a little bit. He got one game in with Vegas. He had one point last year. So good, really good career, though, at St. Cloud. I mean, really, like I said, a Hobie finalist. So that's another guy who I think that's a smart move. We're seeing all the small moves happen now, Mike, but just none of the big ones. Yeah, uh, the other one that was uh, yesterday was Nikolai Goldobin with uh, with Vancouver at nine hundred thousand dollars for a year. Um, now he hasn't panned out, I think, as much as people thought he was going to. I mean, last year, twenty seven points in sixty three games with the Canucks, got an opportunity. Um, you know, it's a low risk because if he if he doesn't work out, they can bury him in Utica and not have it take any kind of cap hit. But you know, I. I mean, giving him a one-way deal, they may, and he's at, uh, let's see, he's 24 years old. I mean, they're not ruling out the possibility of him being a contributor. Uh, who was that again? It broke Goldobin, up. Goldobin. Goldobin. Yeah, no, he could contribute. Um, I don't know how much, but I think there is something there. There's definitely some speed and skill there. So, yeah, for 900 k I mean, why not? Bring it on. Sure. All right, some questions in the chat. I'm just looking for one here. That was at the beginning. Then I when I asked, oh, there you go, Mike and Mike and Russ question uh, from uh, from Andrew in the chat. Uh, which team will be impacted the most if their RFA misses the start of the season? How does it affect next year's RFA's teams? Well, I I you know the next year's RFA class I, class I haven't looked at it to see if it's. I'm worried about next. Yeah, year. yeah, it's so I don't know, but. You know, everybody seems to be following what the other is doing in this class, and there's what nine or ten that are uh, are still, you know, at an impasse with their teams. Um, I think the team that'll be most affected will be Calgary without Kachuk, because they're not, you know, I mean, Goudreau and Monahan are great. They're not really significantly deep forward wise, and Kachuk. Yep. So 70 points last year. I think Colorado can survive a little while without Ranton, and I think the Leafs can survive a little bit without Marner. Yep. It chokes out for a long time. That's going to be tough. No, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to go with um, the Boston Bruins. They, they just won't have a pairing. They'll be devastated. And then I think the Flyers are next with Konechny and Provorov. That's your first or second line winger and your top pairing defenseman your number one defenseman. Like that's – both those teams could be in for a real hurting. I mean, Marner's Marner, right? But the Leafs could sort of get by like they got by without Nylander last year. You're talking about the Bruins. You – all of a sudden, Chara's got to play top pairing again if these two guys aren't there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I just don't – there's not – there. you know, I, I think they're a very good team. They're going to have to rely on being much better defensively. Yeah. To win games early on and that like dirty greasy goals they're gonna have to be like the big bad Bruins almost because yeah. I don't think they're gonna have enough skill lines yeah I mean you're gonna need guys like Jankowski jumping up and giving up a lot more offense if they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna and, and you know I mean next Pasternak and, and, and that top line's great and then but yeah they're they're gonna you know I, I don't think someone like Trent Frederick or maybe maybe make it but maybe Studnika makes it right you know, and that could add a little offense all that said you're right I, I think they're going to have to rely on some some play in front of the net and good defense. They'll get the goaltending, but if they don't have that top pairing, they're in trouble. Right. Um, Dan says, will Ben Harper make the Leafs or is he a Marley guy? Um, well, 
if it was up to me, he's a Marley guy. Um, but, but we're talking, we're talking about Babcock who loves big defensemen and, you know, maybe he keeps Harper around as the seventh. I, I can't see Harper. First of all, the, the top four is a, is pretty much a lock. It sounds like Riley's going to play with Cody CC and then they're going to partner Muzzin and Tyson Berry on the second pairing. Right. Uh, third pairing, Dermot is out until probably November at the, at the earliest. And that means the hodgepodge of, you know, Harper and Marinson and Hall and, I mean, Marinson was better than Harper. Yeah, Jordan. I, I think Jordan Schmaltz is going to make it. Yeah, I think he'll have an excellent chance of making it. Yeah, but it's a question of whether the Leafs want to go the way of promoting Rasmus Sandin, their first-round pick from 2018, or Liljegren, Timothy Liljegren, their pick from 2017, into the NHL at the very beginning uh, of the season. Usually what they do is they let him play down in the American Hockey League for a couple months and sort of get into the swing of things and then bring him up middle of the year. They did that with Dermott. They were going to do it with Lilligren last year, and they uh, he got hurt. Um, and early in the season, you can get away with a bottom pairing that is not great. So yeah. they probably are going to go with veterans. Yeah, I Unfortunately, and I'll be up to, at the Scotiabank Arena for a number of Leaf games, Leaf fans will have to be uh, <laughs> subject to watching Martin Marins and give away the puck every single night. Well, uh, he a giveaway every game, I don't think. Yeah, it, well, I mean, that's that's been his, that's been his trend. Um, okay, Joe asks Mike – what do you think of the set of cap relief for teams on their drafted players? I, I think I'm in favor of a, like a Larry Bird exemption in the league, uh, where one player is exempt from being his count his contract being on the cap or at least a discount. But I don't know whether the NHL because the the NHL is not interested in that for one reason. It only benefits the big market teams. Right, and, it really does. I mean, you're talking about five six teams that would benefit from that. And, and maybe then you would get a little bit of a dynasty thing going, but I don't think it helps the league. Right. I mean, say it's Toronto and say you can exempt one player. Okay, they exempt Austin Matthews. You get, just gave the, the the Leafs $11 million extra dollars to spend. Right. Now, if they want to spend that, if you put the if, – if you institute that along with a luxury tax where the teams – those teams, they, they're able to spend more on salary, but also they're kicking it in – to the rest of the league to divvy up amongst other teams, then you might, but I don't see the thing is, I don't think Toronto want, or New York or Philadelphia want to do that. I mean, they want to spend, but they only want to spend on money on their own players. They, they don't probably don't think they should have to fund Carolina or fund Buffalo or fund other teams. Not sure. uh, let's see here. Any more questions? Um, my, uh, from Joe, Mike, Russ, what do you think that in the next CBA cap relief for team? Oh, you already asked that. I'm sorry. Right? That's the same. Okay, that sounds familiar, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but sorry about that. Um, okay. Toronto Greenhouse. Young guys will get a chance following the season when Babs is gone after another first round exit to Boston. That's Mr. Optimism there, Toronto Greenhouse. Um, well, let's just say this. If, if if they lose in the first round again, I think Babcock is fired. There's been some talk about how Babcock is on tenuous ground and Dubas has gone out of his way in interviews in the last couple of days to say that's not the case. 
I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying I think he's getting the full season, and if they don't have progress, then I think he's in trouble. Uh, it doesn't. It does the Leafs no good to say, "Oh, he's in trouble," because then everybody's. Oh, I agree, but right. I think if he were to get a first round exit, they would be in trouble and would consider firing him. If they did, then I think what would happen is you probably see, and and some of this may happen this year, but if it doesn't, you would definitely see Brocco, Liljegren, Sandine all graduate for playing for the new coach that knows them. That would be the logical step, and I think that would be the best way to sell to the fans, hey, you know what? We've tried these other ways. We're not going to do it within. It would be a good marketing plan, actually. The next coach of the Leafs is not in question. The next coach will be Sheldon Keefe, whether it would be next year or three years down the line. And you'll see him bring up his guys, and I could just see those guys coming up, seamless transition, let's add a little youth, a little speed. It would be a good move. And I got a little heat on my uh, – you know, I've been doing prospects columns for for the, for the Leafs over the last few weeks, uh-huh. and I had Jeremy Bracco ranked second. And you know my my assertion because somebody had a problem with it. I was like, okay, the guy was second in the American Hockey League in scoring with seventy nine points. With any other team in this league, Jeremy Bracco would be in the top nine this year after that year in the American Hockey League. But because the Leafs have Marner, Nylander, and Kapanen as their top three right wingers, it makes no sense to put Jeremy Bracco in a fourth line role, and they're deep at right wing. So he either becomes trade bait, or one if they trade one of those players, he or one of those players holds out or is under a contract impasse, it might give Bracco an opportunity. He's only twenty two years old, so it doesn't yeah, do him. Really I like Bracco around with the kind of skill level he has. I don't think people appreciate the skill level he has. But if you see him play with better players like I have, you'll appreciate it a little more. Yep. All right. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. For Peter Tessier, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.